Um, one of those kind of funny days when it comes to, to preparing uh, for a message uh, or funny sort of weeks. Uh, it's been a really busy week and just trying to kind of bring something that's hopefully helpful and, and relevant today uh, to, to you. And uh, the setting of what we're, we will consider just briefly today is uh, in Ephesus. I don't know if you can see it. This is uh, a map of Paul's second missionary journey. And this is Ephesus up here. So it's, it's one of the seven churches that's mentioned in Revelation. Uh, it's a place where Paul went and ministered and people were saved. Um, and if you, I don't know if you've read on in the passages yet. Um, it's the place where Paul departed. He, he left on a, a ship there to come all the way back down uh, to Jerusalem. And when he, when, he, when he left there, the elders came down and they met on the beach. And they, they said their farewells. And when you read that, you think it was so emotional. There was such a bond with these people that they didn't want to be parted from each other. And the, the Ephesian elders were sad that, you know, they, they'd, you know, they'd realized that they weren't going to see Paul again. And, uh, you know, this is where this is uh, Ephesus was um, quite a place. Uh, this is the temple to Artemis. So that's what's left of the temple to Artemis. Um, still stands today. It's one of the seven wonders of the world. Uh, what an incredible structure. And we, we think we're doing great with all our technology and stuff like that. These guys were doing this without uh, the internet, without mobile phones, without uh, calculators, without any of this kind of stuff that we kind of take for granted. And they were creating incredible things like this because, uh, because of this uh, goddess that they worshipped and uh, it was really a center for, for worship. And this is a, a, a statue of the goddess Artemis. It's in the Vatican Museum. Um, you can see there's a wee bit of an infatuation going on here. Um, I don't know if you're getting that or not. Yeah? Okay. So this is the goddess that they worshipped. And when Paul and uh, his associates went into Ephesus, they began to tell people about the good news of Jesus. And as they did that, people uh, experienced God for themselves, and they began to put the things of, of, of kind of worshiping Artemis aside. And if you read that, well, I don't know if we'll get to it or not today, but we'll, we'll see how we go on. But there are a number of things that we read in this passage in Acts chapter 19. Um, and yeah, I'm not going to read it all through uh, just for the sake of time, but I'm going to just kind of walk through uh, some of the highlights from uh, that particular part of the Bible. And so we're going to start off in Acts 19, verse 13. And there are a number of things that I saw in this passage linked with power or the absence of power. Your power is the ability to do things. It's the ability to do work. And this is a story of some Jews who thought that they could tap into the power that the apostles had without having the relationship with Jesus. Let me say something we can't tap into a power, the power of God without relationship with God. It just doesn't work. And that's what we see in this passage here. There's a powerlessness of these uh, Jews. the you know, seven men, sons of a man called Sceva. And this is what it says. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. And they would say, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Imagine saying that, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. It's, we read that nowadays and we think that's ridiculous. How can you ever say something like that in the name of Jesus whom somebody else preaches? You know, 
this power of this faith wasn't theirs, it was somebody else's. And they were trying to draw down the power of Jesus' name without having relationship with Jesus. These, the, the, these guys went about, they did cast out demons, and uh, they're really trying to tap into a source of power, but they're going about it all in the wrong way. So you see, they call in the name of the Lord Jesus, um, but they have no relationship with him. They try to take authority in a situation, but they don't have authority to take in that situation. And Second uh, Timothy chapter 3, verse 5, kind of adds a wee bit of light to this type of thinking. It talks about those who have a form of godliness, but deny its power. You know, we can look all right on the outside. We can be religious. We can do good things. But there's a power that comes from inside out when we have God living within us. And really, that's, that's the crux of what we're talking about. That power that we need comes from God. Can you lift a heavy object with somebody else's strength? Can you imagine trying to do that? Imagine like the weight of this piano, right? Right, I'm going to lift this with Josh's strength. Right, here we go. Are you ready? Are you ready? Well, it's not working. Because it, it's physically impossible, isn't it? You can't lift a heavy object relying on somebody else's strength. And that's what this is about like. People trying to exercise some sort of power in God that they don't have based on somebody else's faith. Let me just say really, really clearly, we need to have a personal relationship with Jesus because unless we have that, then we don't have access to that power. We don't have access to the grace that we've been thinking about this morning. We don't have access. We need to have that personal relationship with Jesus. There needs to come a moment, and I can't quite remember where this came out this morning. Was it? I can't remember. Somebody was talking about surrendering, being fully surrendered. You see, in order to tap into this power that God has for us, we need to surrender ourselves to God. We need to give ourselves up. And so, in order to have any authority, we need to have the Holy Spirit within us. When we operate, let me say as well, in our own strength, in our own gifting, then we get the glory. But when we operate in the power that God gives us, then God gets the glory. Do you think it's incredible when God does things in and through us that we couldn't have done on our own? And we just say, it wasn't me. God, God did something incredible in this situation. And yet we're encouraged to use the gifts that God has put within us. First Peter chapter 4, verse 10 says, Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in all its various forms. In order to have power, we need to be tapped into the source of power. Because these men came in contact with a demonic power. Maybe not something that's talked a lot about these days, or maybe it's over-talked about, depending on how you look at it. C.S. Lewis said this, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and feel a, an excessive and unhealthy interest in, in them. 
They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. Interesting, written a long time ago for us now. Um, I, I believe in spiritual forces of wickedness. I believe we live in a spiritual world. That's, the Bible talks about this. We see it in Jesus' life, uh, the things that he had to confront. And so we live in a spiritual world with spiritual forces of wickedness that come against the Christian, that come against the church. And this is what it says. This is what this demon says to these men who are trying to exercise a power that they don't have. This is what he says. I know Jesus and I've heard of Paul, but who are you? That's the message translation. I know Jesus and I've heard of Paul, but who are you? Two different words that are used here for knowing and, and, and hearing of. The knowing, the first part, I know Jesus, implies there's a relationship there. They know who Jesus is personally. Whereas when it comes to Paul, we've heard of this guy. And he's obviously doing some sort of damage to the kingdom of darkness so that they've heard his name. You know, I wonder, I wonder if the enemy knows our name. Are we doing enough damage to the kingdom of darkness that he knows our name? We face a very real enemy, but we need to face that enemy in the strength that God gives us. These men were overpowered. We read on, the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all, and he gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. They were overpowered because they didn't have the power that was needed in order to break through in this situation. In some of the areas where we are looking for breakthrough, we need to realize that the source of that breakthrough and the source of power is God himself. And we need to be connected into all that he is and wants to do. And here's the thing. In this incidence, word got around. Have you noticed how word gets around? Word always gets around. Even when something's been shared in confidence, this blows my mind. It's like people still find out about it. I'm like, how does that happen? Can I tell you a wee secret? Only if you keep it a secret. And then that person says, by the way, I heard a wee secret, but you need to keep it a secret. <laughs> have you ever heard that? Have you ever, have you ever done that? Yes. Some people, okay, some people are honest enough to admit it. Let me tell you a wee secret. Word gets around, but here's, here's the situation. This incredible thing has happened, and naturally people begin to talk about it. And it says, when this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Word got around. There's something happening here. There's something, in ha something happening here that's real and that's affecting people, and things that we can't explain are happening. There's a source of power that we need to tap into because we face demonic powers. And if we don't want to be overpowered by those powers, we need to be in connection with our God. There's also a power in repentance. And this is what it says. After hearing about this situation, many of those who thus believed came out of the closet and made a clean break with their secret sorceries. All kinds of witches and warlocks 
came out of the woodwork with their books of spells and incantations and made a huge bonfire of them. Some, uh, someone estimated their worth at 50,000 silver coins. That's the message translation again. When they heard about this, they realized that something was happening and they realized they needed to get themselves right because all of this stuff to do with their practices, their pagan idol worship, their sorceries, they realized we need to actually do something about this. And for me, it's an incredible picture about throwing off the things of our past, the things that lock us up, the things that bind us, the things that tie us into our past. Do you ever feel like that sometimes? Do you ever feel like there's something in your past that you want to be rid of and you feel like you've got a chain around your ankle and it's holding you back in your past and every time you try to move, you get stuck? Because there are things in our past that would seek to hold us down, that would seek to oppress us, that would seek to destroy us ultimately. And the only way to get rid of the things in our past is to come before God and repent and to pray that He brings us into a place of freedom. We need to talk about those things that are in our hearts or things that we've done if we've dabbled in the occult, let me say, if we've been in touch with things like this in the past, we need to allow those things to go in our lives. We need to repent of those. We need to say, I didn't actually realize that, you know, mucking about with a Ouija board or tarot cards or whatever it is, I didn't realize that there was something behind that. I didn't realize there was a power in that and that I need to confess that and repent of it and allow God to work in my heart in order to move on. You see, there's a power in repentance. There's something in repentance that releases us. There's something about confession when it's with another brother or sister that releases us. It's a powerful, powerful thing. And we go on to say, you know, realize that actually there's, there's power also in the Word of God. In this way, the Word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power in our daily reading plan, and I hope you're using it. Acts chapter 19, verse 20. That's one of our key verses as we read through the book of Acts. The Word of the Lord, in this way, the Word, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew and power. Do you know, the Word of God is not something that needs to be locked up. It needs to be released along with faith. I think there are many voices today that seek to silence the Word of God and seek to resign the Word of God to private spaces. There's no room for the Word of God in the public domain. We need to be of the same mind as the culture that we live in. Oh, that's okay for you to have faith. As long as you're just doing that in your own little corner, I don't have an issue with that. Well, actually, I do have an issue with that because our faith is not to be locked up. The Word of God is not to be locked up. And we need to get the Word of God out into the public domain into the streets, into the marketplaces, amongst your friends, your family, your workmates, fellow learners, wherever you find yourself. All of these people need to know the Word of God. But let me say as well, 
that the word without the Spirit leads to legalism, whereas the word with the Spirit leads to life. I think some people have rejected the Word of God because of the way that it was shared with them. Perhaps, perhaps it's the way that we say things. We need the Spirit to come and bring life into the words that we share. There was power in the crowd. You see, the growth and impact of the Word of God had people turning from their idolatry, and this impacted on the trades that benefited from the worship of the goddess Artemis. And some of these people got together and stirred up a crowd, and there was a riot in Ephesus. You, you go on to read that a little bit later on. And listen to this. This is, again, the message uh, translation. Some were yelling one thing and some another, and most of them had no idea what was going on or why they were there. Brilliant, isn't it? They've all got together. They've been stirred up by these tradesmen who are, you know, it's like we, we're, we're, our trade's getting affected because people are turning away from idolatry. And by the way, we're selling these wee idols to these people. They're turning away from that and they're finding this new faith and this new religion. And they get some people together and they stir up a crowd and they're all shouting. And most of them had no idea what was going on or why they were there. Don't you think that's a lot like the world in which we live today. Most people have no idea what's going on or why they're there. They're just getting sucked in by the crowd, sucked in by all of the stuff that's influencing our society today. And one of the things that influences our society is political correctness. And it's one of my big concerns in our society these days is that political correctness is now beginning to affect our children and young people in a way that it's never done before. Another thing that concerns me is that if we have an opposing view to what the mainstream is, then our opposing view is not welcomed. There's a move to keep Christianity out of the public sphere. You know, the key questions that I'm asked about when I go into the high school are often, and you guys will know because you've been in some of those classes when I've been there, often been around science, belief, relationships, homosexuality, gender, suffering, abortion, experiences of God, revelation, etc., and so on. And I'm so grateful that in a safe, educational, and accountable environment, we're able to discuss and sometimes even debate what Christians believe on these issues. I hope I represent you well, because I am sometimes the only Christian voice in the classroom. And my primary reference is the Bible, which I believe to be the inspired Word of God. And the secondary reference is the things which I've experienced in God in my own life. The two things come together. What I read in the Bible, I see happening in real life. I see them happening in my life. And this week, I don't know if you keep up uh, with, uh, I forgot the name, of Christian Institute. Yeah, they send out emails every week. 
And uh, I don't know if I got an email or I was just on the website looking at something. And uh, I was reading Martina Navratilova's comments about trans men competing in women's sports. It was in the Times. I don't, did anybody see that? One or two people, maybe. And she got into some kind of spat on Twitter with a, a cyclist. Uh, and this cyclist, by all accounts, was quite abusive uh, on Twitter. And uh, Martina Navratilova, that tennis player, uh, was shocked. And we need to remember that she, uh, she came out as being uh, gay in 1981. So that's, that's, you know, that's where she's coming from. But this is what she said. Uh, but I also deplore what seems to be the growing, a growing tendency among transgender activists to denounce anyone who argues against them and to label them as transphobes. That's just another form of tyranny. Interesting words, aren't they? Interesting words. As soon as somebody's trying to shut you down so that you can't express your opinion, there's a problem. I thought we lived in a democracy, not a dictatorship. And freedom of speech is something that we need to continue to fight for because there are people who would try to take away freedom of speech in the church. And what struck me was her use of the word tyranny. In our generation, we need to pray and we need to speak up and we need to seek our God for the state of our nation. You see, the best way to win an argument is to not allow the other person to speak. That's what happens in my house. Mary's not here, I can say that. Oh, she's up the back. <laughs> Oops. Isn't it true? The best way to win an argument is to not allow the other person to speak. You've won right away. And that's what's happening in our society today. That's what was happening in this society. Let's get, let's get these guys out of here. They're destroying our trade. And yet the Word of God grew in power. You see, we need to get this though. This isn't the whole picture. We don't hear about what's happening in our world. We don't hear about those who are already in parliament. Politicians who are believers, who love Jesus. People in the media who have influence, who love Jesus. We need to pray for these people that their voice is heard. I said earlier, and I'm almost finished now, that my source is the Bible. That's where I get my information, as God reveals truth to me through the Bible. Let's look at some statistics. Less than three in ten Scots believe the Bible is the actual or inspired Word of God. Less than three in ten. And when asked if the Bible is totally accurate in all of the principles it teaches, five percent strongly agree 11% tend to agree, 28% tend to disagree, 42% strongly disagree, and 14% don't know. Nearly 9 in 10 Scots are neutral, around 44%, or sceptical, around 42%, towards the Bible. And this is the bit that makes me chuckle. 63% of Scots never read the Bible. And only 2% read it 
every day. How can you have an opinion about something that you've not read? How can you have an opinion about the arguments if you've never listened to the other side? One of the things that I have grown in is I have had to answer questions that I don't necessarily know the answer to, is listening to the arguments that other people are making and thinking, well, what does the Bible say about that? What do I believe about that? We need to familiarize ourselves with the arguments. This is another interesting one. Overall, Scots... I'll come back to that maybe. Overall, Scots have a favorable impression of Christianity. 13% very favorable and 42% fairly favorable. I think the 13% are the Christians themselves. (laughs) (laughs) You know, perhaps one of the most popular... Uh, Forms of Christianity is a works-based Christianity. Be a nice person. Don't ruffle anybody's feathers. Don't go against the grain, which was my introduction, but I kind of skipped that for the sake of time. Don't go against the grain, because when we go against the grain, we just create problems and we create friction. We need to find a way to be able to communicate God's truth And it will go against the grain, but we need to find ways to communicate that in relationship with people so that people actually hear what God has to say on things. The church needs to be in agreement about what it believes as well. And that's one of our problems today, is that the church is not in agreement about what it believes. You see, there were times when Jesus went against the grain, but it was always for a purpose. He wasn't trying to be controversial for controversial's sake. Some people just like being controversial. Sometimes I just like being controversial for the sake of it. But it says of Jesus that zeal for his father's house consumed him. He was zealous. He was controversial in the right ways. And we're encouraged to be zealous for God. And we've been equipped to do that through what the Holy Spirit has done in our lives. Almost finished. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, finally be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Not your own. You don't need to do it on your own. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. There is a spiritual world that we're called to impact and fight against. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not about the people. It's about the spirit behind the people. It's against rulers, against authorities, against powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. There's no point in when the when the circumstance arrives in your life or the person arrives in your life saying, oh, where's that belt of truth? Where's that breastplate of righteousness? Where did I put my sword? Oh, it's too late. It's too late. We need to put it on today, now. We need to be equipped with the Word of God, which is the sword of the Spirit. Our only means of defense, that shield of faith. We need to know how to hold that shield of faith when the barrage uh, comes. Therefore, put on the the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, 
to stand. Stand firm then. And it goes on to talk about the spiritual armor. It keeps talking about standing firm. And we can only do that in the strength that God provides. You see, we see this strength exhibited in Jesus, who when he was on that cross was able to say, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Luke 23, 34. Couldn't have done that without being totally surrendered to the Father and to his will and without the Holy Spirit living within him. God's calling us and God is challenging us to be the, pe the people that he wants us to be in this world, to be salt and to be light, to be an influence for good in this world. He's calling us to look at those things which may be tying us into our past and to deal with them, to repent, to say, okay, forgive me for that. I'm moving on from that. God is calling us as individuals, as families, as a church, to move into all the things which he has for us. Not to do these things in our own strength because we can't do them in our own strength. We can only do them in the strength that he gives us. Don't try to stand in your own strength. God's not asked you to stand in your own strength. He's asked you to take a stand in the strength that he <coughs> provides for you. And may I encourage you to do that. Can I just ask that we stand as the musicians come back up to the platform? We're going to pray and uh, we're just going to sing our last song and take up our offering and do these things. But let's just pray uh, as we're doing that. Father, we thank you for the incredible grace that we find in Jesus. Father, we thank you for the incredible strength that we can find in our relationship with you. And Father, we pray as we go into this week, Lord, when the circumstances come into our lives that would seek to uh, take us away from you, Father, we pray that we would find our strength in you. And Father, we pray that you'd help us to be renewed in our energy, in our strength. Father, that we would have the resources that we need. And Father, we just pray that you would help us to know how to pray into the situations that we observe, experience, perhaps those in our own families. Lord, we pray, give us wisdom to know how to pray about those things. And Father, we pray that we would just bring them before you uh, with such compassion and conviction in our hearts. And Lord, we pray that you begin to release things uh, in our lives. And uh, Father, that you would just do the things which you want to do in this fellowship. Father, we pray for those who have been impacted by the service today. In any way, Lord, we pray uh, that you would just fill our hearts with your spirit, Lord, that you would touch us afresh, Lord, that you would uh, give us strength and power as we move out into this week. And Father, we pray that we would know the incredible presence of Jesus going with us everywhere we go. Father, we pray that you'd be glorified in our lives, glorified in this church. And Father, we pray that you'd help us as we continue to read through Acts over the next couple of weeks. Father, as we continue to pray for the church over the next couple of weeks, Lord, we pray that you'd help us to really appreciate afresh who you are and all that you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.